Well, this morning we're in Romans chapter 11, and we're going to be picking up with verse 17. We were looking at Romans 11 last week, and we're going to continue there. And uh, I'll just make mention of this, since it's a little bit of a longer section, again, like we did last week, we're going to take this a section at a time today as we look at this, but we're going to be talking about this idea, or I guess I should say asking this question, are we responding to God's favor with humility? So God displays His favor in a variety of ways. We see His unmerited favor uh, bestowed upon us in more ways than we can count, but there's also some very notable ways, particularly in regard to our salvation, that Scripture points out to us, and we'll see that in the portion of Scripture we're looking at today. But how do we respond to that favor? You know, do we respond with humility or do we respond in another way? So we'll examine that as we look at the Scripture today. Let me have a word of prayer for us. And uh, then we'll talk about these things. Lord, thank you so much for just giving us the privilege to come before you today and worship you. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to start off our week in this context, lifting up your name. Lord, we thank you for every adult and every child gathered together in this, in this place. Lord, we thank you for the songs that we're able to sing to you, the prayers we're able to lift up to you. And we thank you, Father, for the fact that we can spend some time now together studying Your Word and understanding Your will and learning to live these things out. And so we commit this time to You, Lord. We pray that You'd speak to us now by the power of Your Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So just the other day, uh, I I stopped uh, for dinner at one of my favorite local places to grab some food. Just down the road, there's a pizza place that has good food. I actually... Um, don't always even get pizza there, believe it or not. Sometimes I get salad like a grown-up. Uh, this particular meal happened to be pizza, though, so you could tell what kind of mood I was in that day. Um, but yeah, just the other day I stopped down, grabbed some pizza, and there were only uh, just a few people in there when I, when I stopped in. And um, after I'd been there for just a few minutes, and I had kind of picked the table by myself, a group of about Eight teenage boys, uh, I would say they were probably roughly around 15 years old, uh, filed into the building noisily, right? They just like filed in rather noisily, and they all crammed into the section that I was in, including one kind of like with his elbow on my table, and like my table kept moving because the guys would bump it, and the one guy got up and actually moved my table several inches. The other one, when I was eating my food, I was like, all right, well, you know, it is what it is. Um... Only one of them ordered food. One of the guys ordered fries. None of the other guys ordered anything. And basically, this is what they did while they were there. They swore repeatedly and loudly. They banged on the window near their seats to get the attention of the other boys that were out in the parking lot. Uh, And they left without tipping the waitress. And uh, after they walked out, the waitress comes over and begins cleaning up their mess. And she said this to me. She said, some boys don't seem to know how to function in public without their mommies. <laughs> That's what she said. Some bo- without their mommies, they don't, they don't know what they're supposed to do, do they? And, and so we laughed about that a little bit. And I mentioned this to my sons when I got home. And uh, I, m- I mentioned it to them, you know, with the thought that maybe they would know the guys, maybe they didn't know the guys, they weren't really sure who it was. But one of, my said, one of my sons said this to me. He said, you know, if I had to guess who it was, I guess it's probably some of the guys that I know who have everything handed to them in life. 
They don't appreciate anything. Now, I'm paraphrasing his comments, but that was the essence of what he said. You know, they, they, they have everything handed to them, and they don't appreciate anything. And I thought that was interesting, particularly in light of the Scripture that we're looking at today, because isn't it ironic when we consider the fact that the more we're blessed, the more likely it may be that we'll begin acting like we actually deserve that blessing. You ever think about that? The more we're blessed, the more sometimes we can start acting like we deserve that blessing. Meaning, instead of treating our blessings like a gift and responding with humility, we often start to puff ourselves up a little too too much and begin thinking of ourselves a little bit more worthy of receiving those gifts than maybe others are at receiving those gifts. And I bring that up because that was the mindset that the Apostle Paul, that he cautioned us to be aware of, to be on guard in regarding to, particularly in regard to our salvation. Because we don't deserve what God has given us. We actually deserve the opposite. So as we contemplate the gracious ways that God's blessed our lives, we're encouraged to to respond to His favor with humility. And that's how Paul speaks of these things in Romans chapter 11, starting with verse 17. And one of the things that he encourages us to be aware of as we look at this portion of Scripture is this. He tells us, don't get a big head. Don't get a big head. Look at what he says in verse 17 down to verse 21. He says, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember... It is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Let's pause there for just a moment. So in this portion of Scripture, in this portion of the book of Romans, you have the Apostle Paul continuing the thought that he was speaking about in the previous verses that we looked at last time. And Paul had been speaking about God's desire to offer offer the gift of salvation to the Gentiles since the children of Israel had primarily rejected Jesus. And here in this portion of Scripture, you have Paul using the analogy of a tree So in these verses, he's speaking about this idea of a tree. He's using this as an analogy here. And he speaks of both Jews and Gentiles operating like branches of that tree. And he says here that unbelieving Jews were like branches that had been broken off. And believing Gentiles were like like wild olive shoots that were grafted into the tree in order that they might share in its nourishment. So that's the, the... the visual picture he's giving us here to describe a spiritual reality. And as you think about these things, particularly if your background is from a Gentile context, we could say, and you've come to faith in Christ and you experience this nourishing and you experience this blessing, the only thing we could really say as we look at that is that's quite a blessing. You know, to have been at one time excluded from the family of God, but now included... That's rather significant. 
In fact, Paul estimated that some people might actually be tempted to brag about that a little bit by pointing out, you know, how does he phrase it here? He says, you know, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And the way he's phrasing this here, it's as if somebody is bragging about this thought. The idea that branches were broken off from this tree so that I might be grafted in. And while that's true, that branches were broken off so that, so that you might be grafted in, it's not an excuse to get a big head. It's not an excuse to get a big head. Rather, it should prompt a sense of humility or a sense of reverence on our behalf toward God. Because he talks about the fact here that if God has the capacity to determine our eternal destination, we should not act arrogantly toward Him. Nor should we respond to His gifts in a prideful manner. So that's how he's setting up talking about these things. Now, exhibiting pride is not something new for those that God has created, but it does remain repugnant. Right? It's not new. This isn't something new. This isn't a new issue for humanity to deal with, but it, it's disgusting. It's repugnant. And now consider for a moment how the Lord made Lucifer. When you look back in Scripture, Scripture teaches us that Lucifer was created by God as a perfect beautiful, powerful angel, but his response to his blessings was to worship himself and to try and elevate himself above his Creator. And yet for those of us who trust in Christ, what does Scripture teach? It teaches us that a different attitude from that should flow freely from our lives. Jesus, who is by very nature God, came to this earth and he walked in humility, and he served those that he interacted with. And as recipients of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, we're called to mirror Christ's heart. So when the world observes the children of God, they should see a reflection of Jesus in us, not a reflection of the pride of Satan. So what's the Scripture teaching us? It's teaching us don't get a big head about what God has done for you. Rather, respond gratefully and joyfully and humbly to His favor because it's not something that we deserved. And so Paul starts this, this portion that we're looking at today by encouraging us to have that kind of attitude, not to get a big head, but to respond humbly to what God has done. And then he goes on to caution us in an additional way. And he teaches us not to minimize the value of God's kindness. Don't minimize the value of God's kindness. Look at verse 22 and some of the verses after that. It says, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, or excuse me, for if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So as Paul continues to speak about the work of God in salvation in these verses, what he's doing here is he's pointing out both the kindness of God and the severity of God. Did you catch that as, as Paul references this here? The kindness of God and the severity of God. So what has God done? He's shown kindness to Gentiles by grafting them into His family. 
and he's shown severity to Jews who have persisted in unbelief, but just as quickly as God was able to graft into the cultivated olive tree the wild olive shoots who believe, imagine how quickly he could graft the natural branches back in who come to faith. That's what Paul's setting this section up for us to understand. And he's making a point in these verses that those who continue in their belief demonstrate that their faith is genuine. So if a Gentile accepts Jesus Christ, they will be saved. If a Jew accepts Jesus Christ, they too will be saved. But those who continue in their unbelief will be cut off from the kindness of God forever. Could you imagine that for just a moment? Knowing that the kindness of God is a real thing, and knowing that the kindness of God is a beautiful and, and um, undeserved thing, but just as an expression of His nature, we see this. Can you imagine being cut off from it for all time? Cut off from the kindness of God forever. And that's what's being described here, His kindness and His severity. Right? The kindness of God, though, something that's very easy to minimize. And we've all done it. I have minimized the kindness of God. I'm sure that you have minimized the kindness of God. And I think likewise, sometimes we forget that the kindness of God and the severity of God, they actually work hand in hand as outpouring, you know, as the outpouring of His mercy and His, His justice. God is perfectly merciful. God is perfectly just. And so we see His kindness and His severity uh, working hand in hand as expressions of his very nature. I love what Titus chapter 3 tells us about the kindness of God. Notice this with me. There it says this in verses 4 through 6 of Titus 3. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So what was Paul saying in, in this letter to Titus? You know, he's pointing out the kindness of God, the goodness of God, the fact that God saved us not because of anything that we had done, not because of anything that we deserved, but as an expression of His own mercy. And we're told here it's tied to the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit as we're made new people through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And God displays His kindness, and He delights to do so. He delights to show that mercy to you. He delights to show that mercy to me. He delights to show that mercy to anyone who will come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're all recipients of it through faith in Jesus Christ, and God delights to show it. But be honest with yourself for just a moment about this. I like thinking about that, and I should think about that, and you should think about that as well. But how many times in, in your life have you tried to take advantage of the kindness of God? Do you ever do that? Of course, your pastor never has done that, right? I'm just speaking about other people, not myself. More times than I prefer to admit, I have minimized the value of God's kindness by taking it for granted. I've done that so many times in my life. And usually it works out this way in my life. Whenever I have wanted to justify rebellion or selfishness uh, or pride in my own life, this is how I've minimized the kindness of God. I've conveniently, conveniently assured myself of the kindness of God 
and tried to use that as like the perfect excuse to live selfishly. And I suspect I'm not the only person that's ever made that mistake. Done that way too many times. Way too many times. I actually think part of spiritual maturity is when you start to notice that about yourself. And when you just admit it, right? We just admit it. It's like, you know what? I'm someone who takes advantage of God's kindness, and I shouldn't. And I think part of growing in our faith in Christ is just being honest about that and asking the Lord to help us to mature so that we don't continue to do that. Because that's not God's desire for me, and I know that's not God's desire for you. And so when I look at this portion of Scripture, particularly verse 22 of Romans chapter 11, I'm actually grateful that it also reminds me, that it also reminds us of God's severity. Because it speaks of His kindness, but it also speaks of His severity. And I think for the, for the sake of a healthy walk with Christ, it's helpful to us to be reminded of both. The fact that God is perfectly merciful and perfectly just, and He has a high standard for His children. He has a high standard that He expects of me and a high standard that He expects of you. And at the same time, He's also enabling us to live up to that through Jesus Christ who empowers us. But we shouldn't minimize the value of God's kindness by forgetting that it also works hand in hand with His severity. And when you look at how Paul continues to develop these thoughts, he goes on from there and he tells us, listen, don't be unaware of God's long-term plans. Right? You know, consider what he's, what he's talked about so far, right? He's saying, all right, don't get a big head. Don't minimize the value of God's kindness. Don't be unaware of God's long-term plans. Look at what he says in verse 25 down to verse 32. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight. Doesn't that kind of cut to the heart of what we often deal with as people, right? Lest we be wise, lest you be wise in your own sight. He says, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy." For God has consigned all the disobedience that He may have mercy on all. So as Paul continues to educate the church at Rome, he's speaking to the church at Rome, he's speaking to believers in the church at Rome, he begins speaking about God's long-term plans for humanity. I saw something, um, I think it was either this week or last week, and it was talking about how we as Americans really struggle with long-term planning really struggle with long-term planning. We've grown used to immediacy in all areas, and the, the big analogy it was making here um, was in regard to, it was speaking about retirement planning. And it was saying how, you know, so many of us think about that when that time comes instead of thinking about it beforehand. 
And I think, well, you know what? There's probably a lot of areas in my life that I could think about the fact or admit the fact that I've really just thought about things from a short-term perspective. And I think that that becomes a very natural way to, to tend to approach life. We just think about things in the short term. We don't think about things from the long term. And then you look at what Scripture tells us about what God's unveiling, and we realize from Scripture that God has long-term plans, that He patiently and methodically is working all things together for His glory and for the good of His children. And so you have Paul speaking about these long-term objectives, these long-term plans that God continues to unfold. And so Paul talks about the gifts of God, and he says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He talks about the fact that God's plans will not be thwarted. He also gives some perspective about what's going on. Because keep in mind, as Paul's writing these things down, he's a Jewish man and he's speaking about God's plans in salvation for the Jewish people while also showing that you know Paul had a calling uh, from God to speak to the Gentiles. And so Paul's speaking to Gentiles as well. And by the way, the church at Rome was made up of Jewish believers and Gentile believers who are now part of that church. They, my understanding is that it was a, a pretty decent split as far as kind of the, the amount of people that had a Gentile background and a Jewish background. And so Paul's talking about all these things, but he's saying, look, the gifts of God and the calling of God, they're irrevocable, and his plans will not be thwarted. And he's saying, for a season, the children of Israel, their hearts have been hardened, but God has not forgotten his covenant with them. The Deliverer, Jesus Christ, the same one who has rescued and redeemed us, is the same Deliverer who's going to rescue and redeem them. Same deliverer who's going to rescue and save them. And so what Paul's talking about here is he's got the big view in mind of what God's up to. He's basically saying that at this point, we live in a temporary season where God's focusing His attention on the Gentile nations until the full number of Gentiles who will be reached are reached. And then as Scripture reveals, His attention will again be directed toward the children of Israel and many from among their tribes will also become recipients of the mercy of God and will finally see that Jesus is indeed their long-awaited, long-promised Messiah. There's going to be a big harvest. Do you ever meet people in your day-to-day life that you think to yourself, that person will never believe in Christ. They will never believe in Christ. You know, their heart is so hard their eyes are so darkened to the truth. You think, oh, they're never going to believe. And then you watch the Lord do a miracle in their heart and a miracle in their life. I remember when I was in college, I went to a seminar. It was given by a rabbi. And the rabbi's objective was to try and convince us as students that Jesus was not the Messiah. That was his objective. It was a stated objective. We knew going to the seminar that that was the goal. Um, and but he also was gracious enough to allow us to interact afterward and to ask questions and to have a little bit of dialogue. It was very civil, and uh, we went back and forth and kind of shared civilly our our thoughts and our understanding. But I remember that moment thinking, all right, this man, like his heart is is so hard toward Christ, his eyes just don't see that Jesus is the Messiah. And then you look at someone like Paul who wrote these things down. And if you remember Paul's background, and if you remember Paul's history, for a good stretch of his early life, what did he do? He absolutely hated Christians. And he absolutely hated Jesus. 
And he did everything he could to discourage people from following Christ until the day when his eyes were opened and his heart was softened. And the fact that you believe is not because one day you got smart. And the fact that I believe is not because one day I got smart. It's because the Lord did a miracle in your life where He opened your eyes and He softened your heart. And the same way that He presented Himself to you is the same way He presents Himself to anybody. So you can find the hardest heart that you know, the hardest heart you ever come across, the person that seems most closed off to God, and I promise you, they are no match for God. That the Lord could reach into their heart and He can soften it. That He could take their eyes that are blinded to the truth of the Gospel and He could make them see. It's exactly what He did to the Apostle Paul. It's exactly what He did to you. And it's exactly what He promises to do for many who for a season have, heart, for a, season have a hard heart. That's what He does. And that's what Paul was trying to help people to understand and, and help people to, to see here. Listen, don't have a big head about what God's done in your life. The only reason that you experience these blessings is because He showed you favor that was undeserved. He blessed you in a way that was undeserved. And he stresses that here and he says, oh, by the way, He's going to be blessing others in a way that is undeserved. And the full number of those who will believe will believe. And there's one other thing that we're challenged to do in this portion of Scripture. Or maybe I could say, we could say it one of, one of uh, two ways. We could either say challenge to do or not to do. But one of the ways that as you look at verses 33 through 36, that I think it could be phrased is this. Don't neglect to give God the glory. So the positive way we could say that is give God glory, right? Give God glory. Don't neglect to give God glory. Look at what it says in verse 33 down to verse 36. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. So I enjoy how this portion of Romans concludes, this chapter from Romans, how it, how it ties up here. So you have Paul as he's wrapping up these thoughts. And I, I think, you know, I try and picture sometimes certain things in my mind. And I try and picture what the expression on his face happened to be like as the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to pen these things down. And I imagine as Paul was wrapping up these thoughts, he was probably, you know, if he had a chair, I imagine he was probably sitting back in the chair a little bit. He was looking up with a smile. He was probably beaming brightly as he acknowledged the depth of God's riches, the depth of God's wisdom, His knowledge, His judgments, His ways of operating. He was just beaming, thinking about how wonderful God is. And you can see that as Paul was doing this, he makes a point to give God glory for it all. And that's quite appropriate, particularly when you consider that that's what God's designed us to do. I don't know if you ever sit back and think, Lord, what's my purpose? I, I can answer that for you based on what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that your purpose and my purpose is to give God glory in every context of our life. Every circumstance, every moment, every trial, every high point, whatever it may be. Give Him glory. That's His goal for you. If you give Him glory... You've done what He's designed you to do. 
That's what God's designed us all to do, right? In fact, giving Him glory, that's the chief purpose of our lives. And so, as we finish up looking at this chapter, I want to suggest a couple quick things. I want to consider how we can glorify God. And I want to offer you a couple suggestions that I hope you'll find helpful. Because I think that sounds like a very... Um, it sounds like a very spiritual term that sometimes we struggle to know how to apply. When we say, all right, we're, we're to give God glory. Do you ever wonder in your head, all right, well, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to give God glory? If this is the chief purpose of my life, the chief aim of my life, what does that mean to give God glory? That sounds like, like some religious talk. Like, how do I live that out? Well, if you look what it means to glorify, to give glory, it means to honor, it means to adore, it means to praise, it means to thank. Honor, adore, praise, thank. So what does it look like for us to honor, adore, praise, and thank God? If I say it that way, does that sound a little more understandable or accessible for us? Right? When we're thinking about glorifying God, that's what we're talking about. Honoring Him, adoring Him, praising Him, thanking Him. Let me suggest a few ways that we could do that, even though this list is probably just about inexhaustible. Right? We could keep adding to this and adding to this and adding to this. But here's a few thoughts that came to my mind this week as I was thinking about this subject. I thought, all right, what does it look like to glorify God by honoring Him? How can I honor the Lord? Well, one of the clear teachings that we find in the Word of God is that we honor the Lord through obedience to His Word. In fact, what did Jesus tell the disciples before He ascended back to heaven? He's like, as you're making disciples, teach them to obey what I've taught you. Teach them to obey what I've taught you. So I think one of the ways that we honor the Lord, one of the ways we glorify Him is by, by honoring the teaching of His Word. So for me, that means, okay, there's some portions of, of the Word of God that I find very easy to apply and very accessible, and then other things that really challenge me. You know, I mean, there, I, I remember going through a stretch. This was, uh, oh, I guess maybe a little over 20 years ago. Where And it's always easy. Isn't it always easy to talk about our struggles when they're like 20 years ago as opposed to like 20 minutes ago? So this one's, this is too easy. I'm kind of letting myself off a little bit to here. But I do, I do remember very distinctly in my mind struggling with forgiveness towards somebody. And I was like, I need to forgive. I need to forgive. I have been forgiven. The Word of God tells me to forgive. The Word of God tells me to be kind and to, and to, to show mercy toward those that have set themselves against me as my enemy because they're not my enemy. They're not my enemy. They can pretend. Lots of people, we pretend like we're each other's enemies. Nope, we're not. We're all in the same boat. You see that cruise ship that got stuck yesterday or the day before? Anyone see that news story? You know, a cruise ship, 1,300 people. The engine goes out in the middle of the ocean and the water's coming around it and they're like, oh, what do we do? Bring in the helicopters and get everybody off this boat. And that's how they got the people off the boat, with helicopters. And guess what? When you think about humanity, we're all in the same boat. All in the same boat. We're all floating around there in that ocean, waiting to be rescued. And some are rescued first, and some are rescued later. But when you look at somebody else and you try and think in your mind that that person's your enemy, you're wrong. You don't have a human enemy. I don't have a human enemy. And I had to get over that thinking and honor the Word of God where the Word of God says, forgive those who have offended you. Forgive those who have hurt you. Start praying for people like that. It began a pattern in my life where the Lord started to help me to understand that a little bit more. But I remember at that time realizing, okay, this is kind of my biggest 
emotional and spiritual struggle right now, but the Word of God tells me to do something that I'm finding naturally difficult. So I can go with what my old nature tells me to do, or I could be obedient to the Word of God and do what the Lord's told me to do. I think we know which way is going to end up better. How about this? So we're talking about glorifying God. I think we can glorify God by recognizing that our hearts will never find true satisfaction until our hearts come to faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Everything else we're tempted to adore is going to break our heart. So part of glorifying God is adoring Him, right? But what do our hearts want to do? We adore temporary and worldly things so easily. And we're convinced that those temporary and worldly things are going to bring a level of satisfaction and peace and contentment to our heart that they will not bring. The only way that our hearts will find true contentment is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything else is going to break your heart. So if you think right now that your heart will one day be satisfied, if you find that right person to spend your life with and, and uh, you get married and you just have this picture-perfect life, it doesn't work out that way. Sorry. Sorry to pop that bubble. Your heart will not find contentment through another human relationship. If you think that if your paycheck gets doubled in this coming year, right? So whatever you get paid now, if it gets doubled in this coming year, would that be good? Sounds fun. Hope, you know, let's all go out for coffee, right? Um, But here's the thing. Like, if you think that that's going to produce lasting contentment in your heart, it will not do that. Eventually, you'll discover that it's not everything you thought it was going to be. And in fact, some of the most discontented people you will ever find are those who have everything handed to them that they ever thought that they would want it in this world, and then they discover it just wasn't enough. It doesn't fill the void. Your heart and my heart will never find contentment until we learn to adore Jesus Christ and recognize that the source of our satisfaction and contentment and peace is Him. Anything else is substandard. How about this? We can glorify God by praising Him in all circumstances. He knows what's truly best for us. You know, if He ordains for us a season that will stretch our faith, we can praise Him in the midst of that season. If He ordains for us a season that offers us rest from discomfort, we can praise Him for that as well. But the point is we can praise Him in every circumstance. Part of glorifying God is giving Him praise in every circumstance. Your joy in Christ is not dependent on your circumstances. Your circumstances will always change like the weather. The weather changes. You know, it wouldn't make sense just to be happy on days where it's sunny. That would stink, right? Especially if you look at how many of the days in the year are actually sunny versus how many aren't. And if you only smile on sunny days, what have you done? Your joy is is tied to, to momentary changing circumstances. We can glorify God by praising Him in all circumstances, whether your faith is being stretched right now or whether He gives you a season of rest. And He's going to give you both. He's going to let you rest and glorify Him, and He's going to stretch you and glorify Him, and both can be occasions for praise Let me give you one more. We can glorify God by giving Him thanks. We can thank Him for showing us mercy through the work of Christ on our behalf. We can thank Him for working all things together for our good. We can thank Him that His compassionate eyes 
are always upon us. We could keep adding to that list. Lord, I can thank you for this. I can thank you for this. I can thank you for this. I can thank you that you woke me up today. I can thank you that you allow me to interact with people that I wouldn't have chosen to interact with, and yet I'm blessed through this interaction. Lord, I can thank you for for days where everything goes like I thought that they would, and I can thank you for days when you interrupt the plan that I had written out the day before. We can glorify God by giving Him thanks, but again, particularly for showing us mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. He showed us mercy. We deserved condemnation, and He showed us mercy through Jesus Christ who took our condemnation upon Himself. All that to say, as we think about the things that Paul expresses here in this chapter, God has shown us favor in more ways than we deserve. So how are we responding to the favor that He's shown us? Will we respond smugly, as if His favor was something that we deserved? Or will we respond humbly and gratefully with hearts that delight to give Him glory? Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and for the privilege that it is to be able to read it together today and to think about the things that You present to us in this portion of Scripture. Lord, we're grateful that You've given us the opportunity to glorify You. Lord, we know that that's the chief reason that You created us. You created us to give You glory. We've been created to enjoy You forever. What a wonderful thing that is, Father. We know that we don't deserve that. So we pray that as we think about these things, that we wouldn't look at it with kind of a boastful or bragging kind of mindset, like you share through the Apostle Paul here where he describes some people practically bragging, that branches were broken off so that they could be grafted in. Lord, You did a miracle in our minds and a miracle in our hearts to help us recognize our need for Your Son, Jesus Christ. The message of the cross, You tell us in Your Word, is foolishness to those whose hearts are darkened. It seems like insanity to believe that God would come to this earth and take on flesh and walk among us and then be nailed to a cross and die and then rise again on the third day and offer new life to all who will believe. That doesn't make sense until you make it make sense in our minds and in our hearts. The only reason anyone's going to believe that is because you've opened their eyes to see it and softened their hearts to accept it. So thank you for doing that miracle in our hearts. And just as you did that miracle in our hearts, Lord, we know that there are those right now who walk the face of this earth with spiritually blind eyes and spiritually hard hearts, that you're going to reach into that head and reach into that heart and you're going to facilitate change just like you did for us. There are people right now who completely reject your Son, who before their time on this earth is complete, they're going to come to know your Son. Thank you, Father, for the privilege that you've given us to be ambassadors of yours, people who willingly and joyfully share this message. And Lord, we just pray that in the midst of every circumstance, we would learn to give you praise. Lord, we're just so grateful for what you've done in our lives. We're grateful for the fact that you've changed our future, and we're grateful for the fact that you've shown us that true satisfaction in life, true contentment is only found through a relationship with your Son. No temporary relationship, no temporary circumstance, no earthly privilege is going to give us the kind of satisfaction that our hearts truly crave. It's only through Jesus that we find that satisfaction and peace. 
So thank you for helping us to understand that. And we pray that we would glorify you in receiving your son in that manner. So again, Father, we thank you for all of these things. And we're grateful for what you've done in our lives. And we commit ourselves to you now and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.